We are in Ezra this morning. This is where we're calling our farewell, our farewell service. Uh, next week will be our welcome service, so there's another side to this. We'll kind of strike a note today and another note next week. Uh, this is sort of a goodbye, a farewell. As we gather this morning, some folks came early and walked the building and uh, looking a little emptier than it normally is, but uh, it is, it's been good to, uh, to be here together this morning, and we're going to spend a few minutes just, uh, I guess, looking at the Scripture at a similar situation uh, in Ezra chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Hear then the Word of God. Now in the second year after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, made a beginning, together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites and all who had come to Jerusalem from captivity. They appointed the Levites from twenty years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua with his sons and his brothers and Cadmiel and his sons and the sons of Judah together, they supervised workmen in the house of God, along with the sons of Henadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord according to the directions of King David of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. They said, for He is good, and His steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout, and they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept. They wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. Pray with me. Father in Heaven, we have gathered this morning to Your presence. We have gathered as Your people. We have gathered to hear Your Word. To give You our hearts afresh in worship. And even now as we spend a few minutes just thinking about where we are, what You have done, what we leave behind, even as we move from this place by Your grace, that we might have some perspective, that we might hear Your voice in the midst of all that is going on the glory of Your own name and the good of Your people, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It was on March the 17th, 1967, that Hicks and Prez became a church. A church church. An official church. In January of 1970, they built the first section of this building on this hill. It's just the children's wing. That in the foyer that way in the front, just that wing. That was the whole church. The sanctuary in the corner and everything else that they needed. 1970, the first service was held on this hill in what is now our children's wing. In the spring of 1977, this second wing was built. The library and the offices and the adult Sunday school rooms, although the adult Sunday school rooms was one big room and it was the sanctuary. 
1977, they began to worship on this side and had spread out as God blessed and grew this church. Finally, in the spring of 1994, this sanctuary was completed with the fellowship hall underneath. And they began to worship in this space as God continued to bless and to grow this church. They did a full renovation of of the rest of it into its current state in such a state that they can't get my desk out of my office because the doors are smaller than they were before the reno. So anyway, I think we got it figured out. But it was a little distressing there for a minute. Mark Kessel took the top off this morning. So I think we can get it out. Few of you, a number of you, were here for that first phase. In 1970, when they built that church and started worshiping on this hill. A few more of you were maybe here in 77 and existed in that second phase and worshiped in that sanctuary that is now the Sunday school rooms. Most of you, probably, if you're like me, came in the last 23 years and really have only worshipped in this room, and this is all we have known as far as that. But even then, I came in 1998, so this summer, believe it or not, is 19 years for me. My children also came up here. One of my children was baptized here. One of my children was married here. My point is that many of us have a long history on this hill. The church on the hill. I know I do. I've been here long enough. So there is a sadness. There is a certain sadness to leaving here. right? And I get that. We, we should all understand that. There's a certain sadness to, to moving on. It's been an important place in our lives and it holds so many memories for so many of us. And yet God has given us something new. 25 acres. 25 acres. 10 times the property that we sit on usable here at this moment. God has given us something new and a growing area of opportunity and a new building and and our children, I think of these children who were running around yesterday when we were there moving, there were children everywhere running around and chasing each other and just thinking how our children are going to grow up in that place and all the property that's there, the fields and the space that we have and our children are going to grow up running around those fields and they're going to know them like the back of their hand as they explore along the creek and we have room to expand and to grow. We've been here for almost 50 years. But it is time to lift our eyes and to look and to see what God is doing. And to see where God is taking us. What God will do in the next 50 years. And I think that has been a helpful thing for me as I've thought about the 50 years. This is our 50 year anniversary. You know, set aside October 29th. It'll be our anniversary celebration and also sort of our Thanksgiving service, our big homecoming time on the new property where we'll invite past pastors and everything to come and really celebrate what God has done in the past 50 years, but we are looking at the next 50. Looking ahead, it's a bittersweetness to move. Months ago, Greg mentioned this passage to the staff when he was thinking it through and he mentioned it and I said, dude, I'm preaching that text. Like That is, that is where we are. That is how we will feel on that day. So as I read this text, I I see ourselves in in this whole thing. This bittersweetness. It's a moving passion that juxtaposes the memories of the old temple 
and those who could remember it. And the laying of the foundations of the new temple for the new generation to press ahead into what God has. And these things mingling at that moment. Ezra is a story of spiritual renewal. And I think this is a story of spiritual renewal for us. I think that is where we are. It's a story of spiritual renewal because God's people are returning from a time of exile. A time of rebuilding is in front of them. As you remember, the kingdom had been divided. David, Solomon, and then his son, under his son Rehoboam, the kingdom divided into two. You had the northern kingdom of Israel with ten tribes and the southern kingdom with two in Judah. And we saw in 722 that that the Assyrians rose up and, and conquered the northern kingdom of, uh, of Israel and took it into exile. But God in His grace preserved the southern kingdom of Judah. And so the northern kingdom is swallowed and, and, and the southern kingdom persists for another 130 years until the Babylonians rise up and conquered the Assyrians and not only take the ground they had, but swept into the southern kingdom and took Judah and swallowed it, and in swallowing it, destroyed much of Jerusalem, and its walls and its temple destroyed. God's people taken into exile for 70 years. and You hear stories like Daniel. They're in exile under the Babylonians. But in the early 500's B.C., 70 years after the Babylonian rise, the Persians take over. I always think of this, you're always wondering, this history sounds crazy, but then in this, I always think of it as my ABPs, right? The Assyrians, the Babylonians, and the Persians, right? In that order. So if you want to know how this food goes out, your ABPs. So the Persians take over, and they reverse the exile policy. Where the first two took them into exile, the Persians say, you can go home. And they do. Groups of them go home. They return to the land. They come to as we preached through Nehemiah not long ago, they come to rebuild the walls. They come to rebuild the temple. They come to reestablish Israel as a worshiping people. And as they rebuild the temple, it is a time of great work and sacrifice. We saw this as we walked through Nehemiah. If you've read that book, you see what it took for them to come home and to organize and the work and the sacrifice that went into the rebuilding of a nation. The rebuilding of the walls and the rebuilding of the temple. And so it is a time of spiritual renewal. These people that have been in a foreign land and without a temple and without the law and without a, a sense of, of place and identity for so long. They return in this time of rededication to the God of Israel. This time of rebuilding the temple, of rediscovering who they are as God's people. As they build the temple, they rediscover the law and they rediscover what it is to know and to love and to obey God as His people. And it is a great time of renewal. After all they had been through, it is a time of looking forward. As we come to this place in Ezra, it's a time of looking forward. They come to rebuild and to move into what God has. And what God is doing, He's doing a great work in Israel at this moment in time. I know they're still underneath the, the thumb of Persia, and after that will come the Greeks and the Romans, and they don't get out from under. But God is doing an amazing thing. He's preparing 
the way for Messiah. He is, he is laying the groundwork not only of the temple, but He's laying the groundwork of the, the pathway, bringing down every mountain and raising up every valley to prepare the way of the Lord as He would return to His temple and to His people. He is preparing the way for the One who will come and save us from our sins. He's taking His people forward. It was a time to build. In a time where they had to let go of the past and all that they had been through. But my friends, I know this is hard. Change is hard. We have emotional memories that are powerful. Sentimental. In fact, I think sentimental is memories that have emotion attached to them. Sentiment. So we get this moving scene. This powerful scene where the foundation of the new temple is laid, but there is this expression of a mix of emotions of what God has done and what God is doing. And these motions mingle even as they do this morning as I've talked to some of you. In verses 8 and 9, we see that it talks about a group that have returned from exile the second year after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, coming back from places in Assyria and Babylon and Persia. They come back, we, we're introduced to people like Zerubbabel, the government authority, and Jeshua, the religious authority, and all the other officials and leaders who have returned to take on this task. And in verse 10, they get started. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple, the temple of the Lord, of Yahweh, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites and the son of Asaph came forward with cymbals, to praise the Lord according to the directions of David. Can you imagine this group coming forward? You know, they're, they're laying the foundation, and even laying the foundation was a momentous enough occasion that they had stopped construction to have a worship service, you know, on the spot. That they, the work has begun definitively, a foundation has been laid, and so they come forward to worship. And you can imagine the sound of trumpets and cymbals. It's an interesting band, isn't it? Those were the instruments available to us and leading us in worship. Be a little different. But it works, right? There's a great noise. That's why I say worship the Lord with a joyful noise. You get the idea that so often that's exactly what it was as the people shouted and praised with trumpets and cymbals in this moment of what God is doing. According to the directions of David, he's credited with instituting musical worship in the temple. Prior to that, we don't think there was much in the line of musical worship, but David was a musician, and he loved music, and he brought it into the life and the worship of Israel in a new way. And as these folks gather again, four centuries, five centuries, five centuries after David, they break out the instruments according to the directions of David. And in verse 11, it looks like everybody's worshiping, right? It says, they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to Yahweh, to the Lord, for He is good, and His steadfast love endures forever toward us, Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised Yahweh, because the foundation of the house of the Lord had been laid. Everyone worshipped, young and old, giving God the glory for restoring the temple, restoring the worship of His people, restoring them to their place. They sang of God's goodness and His covenant faithfulness, right? That, 
that excerpt of what they sang, for He is good and His steadfast love endures. That word steadfast love, I've told you before in the Old Testament where that is, it's the Hebrew word chesed. You've got to have a little guttural at the front. The chesed of the Lord. It is His steadfast love. His steadfast mercy. It is, it is part of His covenant love toward His people. And so it endures forever. It's a covenanted love. And so it is steadfast and enduring. It does not fail. God is faithful to His people. It's the same covenant love and faithfulness that you and I stand in. The same faithfulness that God has toward His people of every generation. That He has covenanted with us as well. It is a different covenant. It's a new covenant. Not like the old in many ways. But He's covenanted to us in Christ. In His Son. We are a people of faith and a people of covenant. The night before Jesus went to the cross and He, and he celebrates the Passover with His disciples and He passes them the cup, what does He say? But this cup is the new covenant in My blood. This is My blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The blood of the covenant. The blood of the covenant is the foundation of His steadfast love for us because of the forgiveness that is ours through the blood of the covenant and the forgiveness of our sins. Because our sins are forgiven and we stand right with God, when we stand in Christ, He loves us as His own children. We become part of a covenant family. And so we gather as a covenant people loved by God, faithful to us. Day by day, we have seen His faithfulness every step of the way in this process. I worried from the beginning. This is not something I entered into. I've told you from the beginning of this. I, I entered into it with fear and trembling. Not something that I had envisioned that I would want to be the one to go through. But I have to say from the first decision and every step of the way, seeing God's faithfulness. Seeing God do it. And that's what they're saying here, right? They're not saying, you know, it's not, the, it's not the Persian king who let them go. It's not due to his goodness that this is going on. It's not due in whatever else we do as we look at what has been accomplished. Let us not think it was us. Let it not think it was anything that we had. God brought up every valley and brought down every mountain. For He is good and His steadfast love endures forever. That's why a new foundation was laid and a new church was built and a, and a future has been given to us and to our children for the generations to come as we look to be a light in a new neighborhood, in a new place, as we look to be used of God and to see the Gospel go forth in a new place. I think it is so exciting, but as we gather to worship today, again, let our hearts go nowhere else but the Glory of God Himself. For He has done it. He is good. We notice even as they worshipped and they acknowledged God's goodness and His covenant faithfulness, the people were experiencing a mix of emotions. There was still, there was still a lot going on in the hearts of the people who were there even as there may be this morning. It was a glorious day in the life of Israel as God was restoring their fortunes and rebuilding the worship in the temple. And it was still a hard day for some people. It was still a hard day. 
11 to 13, as we read that again, it says they sang responsively, they praised, they gave thanks. And then he says, all the people shouted with a great shout and they praised the Lord because the foundation was laid. But in verse 12, but, but, many of the priests and the Levites, the heads of the fathers' houses, and the mothers, those who were old enough to have been around, to have seen the first house, they wept with a loud voice when they saw the new foundation being laid. Though many shouted for joy, there was weeping even as there was shouting. All the people shouted, yet there's this undertone. Those of you who have been here long enough, and I sit and we talk, tell stories, stories of our children, things they've done. We've had many conversations about how to bring the tree with us. You know, what would it cost? What, you know, we, we literally looked into what would it cost you know, to get one of those big machines that you know, dig out the whole root ball and a crane to put it on a truck and you've got to dig out the parking lot and put it back. And, you know, what would it cost? Because we want to bring it with us you know, so our children could keep climbing on it. There are these mixed emotions as we tell the stories of all that has happened in this place. And these folks who could remember the first temple, right? The original temple. And they have wonderful memories of what God had done in the life of Israel under David and Solomon. And the golden years, those years back there that they had lived through. And it was hard for them, even as God was providing something amazing. They wept. Some say they maybe were weeping for joy. As you look at the text, I wondered about that. Are they, are they weeping for joy as the foundation is laid to see its restoration? Except that it seems to say it's juxtaposed with the idea that many shouted for joy. They wept and others shouted for joy. And the word that they use there for weeping in the, in, in the Ezra, Nehemiah, and most of the Old Testament is almost always used for sadness. And so you do have, I believe, this very powerful mix of emotions. The roar of the crowd that we're told in 13 that is so loud that it was heard far away as they celebrated what God had done. And yet it says it was mingled in those moments. The tears. Overwhelmed by memories and history. The younger generation shouted and praised. Grateful for the temple that God had provided for them the future of the church. So, it should be obvious by now, some of the similarities and experiences going on here today, some of you are overwhelmed by memories and history. A sense of loss. Many of us grieve, and I think it is normal. And in so many contexts, I think it is healthy. It's one of our emotions. It's a, it's a God-given emotion to grieve over things, to sense loss, and to feel it, and to experience it. There is a sense of loss. It's normal. But we need to remember that change is not a bad thing. We resist. Sometimes resent change. Sometimes I think we think that change is bad. But the reality is change is a good thing. We struggle with it. But change is a good thing. Change is a part of life. In some ways, it could almost be a definition of life. Because the only things that don't change are dead things. But every living thing 
changes. It grows. And it goes through various stages of things that it, that it must change. Lynn and I sometimes say, as we see the little ones, even over the last few days, some of these little kids, you know, you look at them, we sometimes say to each other, I wish our kids were little again. You know, we went to visit Daniel last weekend. They just bought a house up in Johnson City. They're doing really well. Like, you see God blessing them. And, and still, we go to visit them. And like, we wish they were home with us. We, we still have those pangs of, you know, we wish our kids were little again. You know, when you could hold them, they still needed you. You know, they were always around and came home. Like, we loved that time. We, you know, we're empty nesters now. And, and there is that nostalgia, that desire. But the, but the thing is still true. Change is good. If my children were still at home, it's not necessarily a good thing. <laughs> I mean, we say we wish they were little again, you know, but, we, but the thing is, that's the way life is. We go forward, and we grow, and we change, and we, we must, and we, but I understand, we cling to, we have nostalgia and sentiment and powerful emotional attachments to, to what, what, what was, what happened here. Those things that we remember and our hearts are attached to them, but at the same time, there is a health and a life to moving forward into the new things that God is doing. And we celebrate that my son has a job and a wife and that they are now buying a house and moving on. They have a church. And we celebrate that even as we grieve our empty nesting. And it's a thing you don't even understand until you get there. You know, there's, I said, I'll never like, you know. But no, it is. It's real. And so we pause and we worship this morning. We look back and we recount God's goodness. His steadfast covenant love to us and all that happened on this hill. Right? From its first founding and the, and the first small beginnings to the growth that is this building is probably five or ten times bigger than the original. What God has done in growing us as a people, as a church, we celebrate the memories and the history and all that He has done. How He experienced His goodness in this place. Even as I experienced it with my children as they grew up. It was good. But change is still good. What we do is we worship while we remember and are grateful. You know, as they built this new temple and they moved ahead, they laid the foundation. They didn't forget David and Solomon and the first temple. Right? They remember it's brought up again and again as part of their story and part of God's faithfulness to them. Even as they moved on and they were, they were far beyond that, they still look back and remember those days and give God thanks and praise for them. They don't move beyond it in that sense. All that God has done. What we do is we raise an Ebenezer. I love that. One of my favorite hymns, Come Thou Fount. Right? Here I raise my Ebenezer. And a lot of the kids are like, Ebenezer, who's that? And I saw that movie. But Ebenezer is a stone of remembrance. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. Every time we sing that song, I think of you know, the Old Testament. It was the raising of a stone, a stone of remembrance to say that this far God has brought us. And we celebrate that and we remember that. And it gives us confidence for the future of where He will yet take us. 
And so we raise an Ebenezer because this far. So every time I sing that song, I think in my own life, and you should too if you're not, that in that moment, in that moment of worship, in your heart before God, you are saying to Him, here in this moment, I raise an Ebenezer hither to this place, to this day. I'm still here. I'm still worshiping. I'm still following You and knowing You and loving You and serving You. And You have been gracious. And to this moment, I raise an Ebenezer. Hither, by Thy help, I have come. You know what? And today, that's what we're doing. Right? We raise in that sense in this place an Ebenezer. And that by the, you know, this far we have come by His grace. My friends, if we grieve, we do not grieve like those who have no hope. The Bible tells us so many times in so many ways. While there are many times in our lives to grieve, we never never grieve as those who have no hope. We never grieve as those who do not see the God who is faithful, the God who is sovereign, the God who never leaves us nor forsakes us, who walks with us step by step. So we pause and worship this morning not only as we remember and celebrate what God has done in this place and His steadfast covenant love that endures, but we remember He is not only our God and our help in ages past, but He is our hope for years to come. We lift our eyes to the years to come. We look ahead at what God is doing. We're called to live in the present, to recognize that in this new property and building the opportunities for ministry for our children and for the community. Something new and something different, yes. Psalm 118.23 and 24, it says, this is the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I think that's where we end this morning as we think about these things. This is where we want to be. This is the Lord's doing. I am convinced more now the fact that it it has happened and God has provided everything to bring us here that we move in strength to this new place and what God is doing. I am convinced more than ever that this is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in my eyes that He did it. Because to be honest, I had very little to do with it. I had somebody tell me as we started it. Yes, they did. said, you don't have the manpower to do this. Manpower? First of all, I saw manpower the last few days. You know, second of all, the Lord has done it. And it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day, this day, when we say goodbye here and join next week there in a whole new situation, this is the day that the Lord has made. And we will be glad in it. We will step into the future. In order to press into the forward and upward call, we have to let go of the past. We mourn over change. Even if it's change we wanted. Again, I wanted my kids to grow up. I still mourn they're growing up. I still mourn they're leaving. But I'm happy at the same time. We, we look forward to what God is doing in their lives now. We can't dwell back there. Even when it's change that we wanted, it's just sad that things are different sometimes. But that isn't always bad. The older we get, the more we resist it. We like things the way that they are. Familiar and comfortable like an old sweater. I'm getting just old enough. 
We like things the way that they are, and sometimes it takes literally an act of God to move us out. Out of our comfort zone. Right? Out of what we would just settle down into forever. Amen. You know, but the Lord doesn't settle down. He's the Lord of a new thing. And He stirs us up and He moves us forward. Isaiah 43, and this is Isaiah prophesying at the time of the first overwhelming invasion of Assyria at the beginning of those changes and, and, the, and the loss of so much and, and the destruction of the first temple. And he says, remember not the former things. Don't consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I want to perceive it. I want to perceive it. I want to grieve our loss without becoming mired in the past. I want to celebrate our past even as we embrace the future and to step into what God is doing. Philippians 3, 13 and 14, Paul says, One thing I do, I forget what is behind, and I strain toward what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I know that he's speaking about his personal spiritual life, and I hope every one of you will say that with all your heart every day. One thing I do is I don't dwell in the past. I don't get mired with what is behind. I don't, I don't dwell on my failures or, or whatever was before, or the golden age back here, back wherever. One thing I do is I don't live in the past. One thing I do is I put my eyes on the prize. And I strain forward into what God is doing. And I believe that that is true not just for us individually, but it is true for us corporately. That as a people, we must strain, press on toward the goal of the prize. The simple truth is you can only focus in one direction at a time. It's a simple truth. I think Paul's thinking of a runner when he says that. One thing I do is forget what is behind and press ahead. I think he's thinking of a runner. And if you think of a runner, you can only focus in one direction at a time. What kills a runner is when he glances back and he loses stride and interrupts his rhythm. And he says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Embrace what God is doing. The real opportunity. This was a time of spiritual renewal in the life of Israel. And I am praying. I have been praying. I continue to pray and invite you with me that as we do move forward into what God is giving and what God is doing, that we would embrace it as a time of spiritual renewal. A longing for God to work in new ways in us and in our families. To work in new ways in the midst of the community. To be useful to God in new ways. To present the Gospel and to be a light to the community. To use the property even as we've started new ministries already. Taking advantage of what God has given us out there. My friend, you and I are the church. Not this building. It's a nice building. It's been a good building for us. It has served us well. I'm grateful that God gave it to us. But you are the church. It wasn't until God brought persecution on the church in Israel that it, that it dispersed out of Jerusalem and scattered to the four corners of the earth. Sometimes God moves us on. It's an opportunity for spiritual renewal. Haggai 2 verse 9. The prophet says as they were building the second temple, even though others had wept and it wasn't what the last one was, the later glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says Yahweh, Lord of hosts. 
And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. I would hear that as a word to us. That what God is doing, that what God is doing, the later glory of this house shall be greater even than the former. That He will lead us into new things and grant us peace in a new place. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your covenant faithfulness. We, with all of our hearts, say, You, O Lord, have done it. And it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that You have made. We will rejoice. We will rejoice and be glad in what You have done. We will grieve our loss in so many ways. We will step forward and embrace the future, the next 50 years of what You will do in and through Your church for the glory of Your name, the forwarding of the Gospel, and the building of Your kingdom. Oh, may we be useful in Your hand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.